Hello friends, Hanson here, and welcome to VGN, a video games analysis podcast. This is episode one. Uh, this is going to be my weekly video games analysis podcast that I'm going to record. Uh, basically, the general structure of this show is going to be an analysis of the news that's come out this week. Um, and I, I'm still trying to kind of cement a solid recording schedule as I've recently changed uh, jobs, my, my daytime job. Um, so I'm trying to kind of synchronize with that. Uh, while also trying to do what's best for the for the show here. Um, so this is going to be episode one, just a video games analysis show. Um, general structure, and I, I think this is going to change as I kind of settle into what the general rhythm and, and you know, uh, recording schedule for this podcast is going to be. But I think I'm going to start with uh, really getting into each of the first parties. So that would be between Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo. Uh, getting into the news that's coming out there, what I think is significant, what's worthy of analysis, uh, th- things like that. And then um, I'm also going to do talk to you guys about what I've been playing, uh, as well as just whatever kind of conversation and, and that things come up. So, um, yeah, so let, let's get into it here. So just to kind of stretch our legs here, uh, I always like this question uh, right here. So between the two, what do you what do we think is cooler, uh, plants or dinosaurs? Now, this is a this is a very important question. Um, and I think there's a clear winner here, especially uh, when you look at the recent release of HBO's The Last of Us and the, the success there and the kind of ways in which a fun guy planned that show. Uh, I got to go with plants over dinosaurs. I've never really been too much into dinosaurs personally. I've always found them a little underwhelming uh, as some sort of a predator, some sort of creature. Uh, I've never really, never really got them. I actually haven't even seen all the Jurassic Park movies or anything like that. I have been. However, I've been to... Universal Studios. I've ridden that water park ride uh, with the dinosaurs. Jurassic Park. Shout out if you know that. If you know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, plants. They're just superior to dinosaurs in every way. One is extinct. One is not extinct. So you got to keep that in mind when you're kind of going through this. Um, but yeah, no, no plants all the way. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's gonna be my answer to that question. So let's uh let's get into what what we've been playing here. What I've been playing. So I gotta say right out the gate. I've been playing Elden Ring, and I don't really know how much more I can add to this conversation uh, that that's already been happening. But this game is so good. Uh, this game, in in every aspect, from top to bottom, um, it is just a wonderful, wonderful game. I think when it comes to art direction, level design, enemy design, enemy variety, it's just it's best in class. I don't know. I don't know many other games that you're going to be able to play that you can find something better than that. Um, I, I feel like in every zone, every place you go to explore, there's different enemies that you could fight. They're just completely different. Um, I went through the segment uh, a few nights ago where you're, you, I, it was the first underground part of the game that I went to. It was in the Lakes of Lyrnia zone and just the part where you fight the ant creatures and then you end up fighting the stone sort of people. Um, I don't remember the name of that zone, so you'll have to forgive me, but um, it's just an example. Like You go from fighting ants to like these like ancient stone humans. It's really weird, but it's so good. Um I'm more excited to get into the lore of this game. I don't really know too much about it. Um, but going forward, like I, I think that'll be something cool to, to really get into. I started the build that I'm rocking right now in the game. I started as the prisoner class, so uh, I have <laughs> I still have the prisoner helmet. I haven't taken off the prisoner helmet the entire playthrough of this game so far. Uh, and I'm using the Moonveil Katana build as well as... Uh, it's just a, dex, a dexterity intelligence build, so... Uh, using that scaling with the Moonveil Katana and then also uh, being able to use the spells, the staff, I have the Meteorite staff or whatever it's called. That thing's awesome. Um, 
and the game is just so good it's just so so good uh the music is wonderful the art direction again like being able to consistently see i think it's the erd tree um always in the background is just so so good you can always see it uh you can even go to like the little smaller erd trees that are around and you can get like various upgrades i think for your little flask um that provides you various buffs or whatnot um it's just so good um i i i will address some of the the difficulty things that have come up about this game because i remember when the game first came out there was a wired article that featured and i can't remember the writer of this article but they were essentially saying that elden ring is a very good game but it's inaccessible due to just how difficult the game can be and um i just don't really like i think the game at its core level and when you play it at its most basic level and if you play the content as intended and some sort of structure that is intended like i think it's it can be difficult, but at the same time, like I, I, if you follow a guide, like especially if you follow a shout out to fighting cowboy, his guides that are on YouTube, um, those are just so good. If you're, if you're seeking looking to play like any souls game, any from software game, you have to go check out his guides. Cause it, they're just, they're great. And then it, it, he tries to take you on a path that is not just the most easiest, but is the most advantageous. Um, and they're just very well put together guys. So shout out to that. But if you, Especially in this game, I feel like if you were just able to move and do everything in his own, like if you start, you start in Limgrave, you start, you do everything in Limgrave, then you move to like the Southern Peninsula, that's right below Limgrave. You you do everything there, and then you move into the Lakes of Lyurnia zone, you do all that, and you do everything, and you're building your build correctly, and you put lots of points into Vigor, like this game isn't that, it's not that hard. Like, I don't really know how else to say that. Um... And I'm not just saying, like, I'm not even that good at games. Like, if you if you just simply, like, build your character in a certain way and you're more powerful than the things that you're fighting and you know what you're doing, um, I mean, anyone could beat this game. And that's I think, I think that's the beauty of From Software's game design is that the difficulty is more often than not what you make it. Um, you can use the summons in the game. I am personally using the summons. I don't think that makes it... Like, I, I think the part of the game design that's there is that it is... They give you those tools for you to use. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I love the game. Also, I got to shout out the ball farm. If you guys don't know the ball farm, you go to the zone called lens rise. It's L E N N E. It's in the K lid region. You kind of have to make your way over there in sort of an awkward, uh, early part of the game, but there's a grace, like a great side of grace. That's right next to this. Um, if you go down this hill right beside to the right of this grace, um, you hold, a ball will spawn out of nowhere and try to like run over you. And usually at a lower level, it's like a one shot. So you have to avoid it. But if you just kind of like position your character and run along, along this, this cliff edge, you can get out of the way and it'll give you like 2000 runes or 2000 souls, whatever you want to call them right off the bat. And if you just do that a couple times, I mean, you could do, you can get probably like 4,000 souls a minute, 4,000 runes a minute, just doing that farm. And it's really simple. Um, so shout out to that. Shout out to the, it's just a wonderful game. If you, I mean, I, I'm sure most people have played it considering it's the number two best-selling game of 2022 on the NPD. I'm sure most people have played it. Um, and most people have, have plat or no, 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 that's not true. Not most people, uh, a significant portion of people have platinum the game. I think it's like upwards of 10%, but, um, it's just wonderful. You got to play it. So yeah, Elden Ring, that's, that's pretty much all I've been playing again. Like I said, I've, I've been transitioning jobs, uh, my daytime job so it's been a little difficult um to find time to play games and also i've been working on 
getting this off the ground, getting Ant Media off the ground. Um, so it's just been haven't had too much time to play, but it's been good all around. Um, but yeah, that's what I, that's what I've been playing. So uh, now I'm going to move into the news. So uh, there's lots of um, interesting news that's coming out this week. Um, unfortunately, so I think I think the general structure of this podcast that I'm going to lay out is I'm going to as I said, touch on each of the first parties. And I'm going to start with just, you know, what I think is the most significant. Um, There's been unfortunate news this week of lots of layoffs. Um, So let's get into it. So I'm going to start with the Xbox news. There's three pieces of news I want to touch on here. And we're going to begin with number one. So on Wednesday, January 18th, Microsoft announced that they plan to lay off upwards of 10,000 employees, which for perspective is 4.5% of its 221,000 total headcount, demonstrating the gargantuan size of their workforce in an effort to get ahead of the impending recession that the United States is currently facing, as well as recessions that's going on around the world. According to Microsoft, this is in response to a decrease of consumer spending on tech, a trend that many other tech-ish companies such as Amazon, Salesforce, and Tesla are currently facing, according to website Ars Technica. On a similar note, journalist Jacob Wolf also reports that Riot Games is eliminating 46 positions, and it's been reported that these layoffs are currently happening at other games media outlets such as Giant Bomb and GameSpot, further demonstrating the uptick of layoffs in our industry. Unfortunately, the Microsoft layoffs include several layoffs with an, with an Xbox, Microsoft's video game brand, while also occurring a Microsoft's HoloLens business in some engineering divisions, according to website Video Games Chronicle. Reported from Bloomberg's Jason Schreier, he's the esteemed, well-known reporter that tends to leak a lot of things and just is generally a good source. If he's saying something, it's probably true. Um, but he details that several employees from both 343 Industries, the studio behind 2013's Halo 4, 2015's Halo 5 Guardians, and 2021's Halo Infinite, as well as Bethesda Game Studios, who are the creators of 2008's Fallout 3, 2011's Skyrim, 2015's Fallout 4, and the unreleased 2023 game, Starfield, allegedly 2023, probably coming out this year. Additionally, additionally, Shry reports that 343 was hit hard and will be deporting 343. Oh, he will be hit. 343 was hit hard and that in the midst of these layoffs, Halo veteran and beloved developer Joe Staten will be departing 343 and will be rejoining Xbox's publishing division. 343 Industries has stated that they remain committed to maintaining Halo Infinite's live service and multiplayer aspects. It's reported that many of these journalists that were laid off had been with Microsoft or 343 for over a decade. Bloomberg journalist Jason Schreier also keenly tweeted, quote, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, I hope I'm saying that right, I'm not sure, uh, made $54.95 million in total compensation last year, end quote. In response to the layoffs, Nadella stated that Microsoft, quote, will have to do more with less, end quote. While, while they expected to experience long-term savings by laying these people off, the severance payoffs, leets consolidation, and changes to its hardware par- portfolio will cost Microsoft about $1.2 billion in Q2 of the 2023 fiscal year, according to website Ars Technica. So that's a lot of news. Um, there's a lot of moving parts here. Um, generally speaking... This isn't good news. Uh, layoffs are never good. Um, I understand that it's, in many ways, layoffs are kind of a part of the way in which the economy cycles and functions and whatnot, but you never want to see people lose their jobs, be out of work, and, and things like this. So it's um, definitely breaks my heart. Shout out to all the people that are out there, especially I, I saw many tweets. Uh, I don't know the, the names of these people off the top of my head, but upper, I mean, there's been people that have been employed by Microsoft for upwards of 10 years, and they're getting laid off. Um and I got to be honest, like part of me feels like this is gross in some ways, right? Um, 
the populist side of me is saying, when you spend you're, you're spending seventy billion dollars to acquire Activision Blizzard, your leader makes fifty four point nine million, and you're going to lay off people that have been with you for a decade. Is that what we're doing? And I, I mean, I know this is more nuanced than it might seem, um, especially. I, I think CEOs have a very big job. Uh, they should make a big salary, I think, because that's a that's a lifestyle that you have to choose. Uh, you're working almost 24-7, I can imagine, um, if things are busy. So it's a big job. Uh, I do think you should be, get paid a lot of money. Um, but there's just there's just certain things here where it's just like you got to take care of your people at the end of the day. And running a business isn't hard. Um, and especially like this is just the trend that we're seeing and the economy is not really supplementing these sorts of things. Um and just generally the, the the decrease in tech sales that we've heard so much about, um, I don't know. It, it It's definitely not looking good out there. And um, if you were in some sort of tech job, like just uh, t- you got to take care of yourself out there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. So, yeah, but it's, it's, it's just a nuance. There's two sides of this, right? Like I understand, but I, at the same time, I feel like it's gross. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of this is the American capitalist machine just kind of working, running its course, doing its thing. Um, yeah, and especially, I mean, like, I, I also find it interesting the various studios in which Xbox has decided to lay people off at. Now, obviously, uh, Joe Staten has announced that he's leaving 343, and then there's there's also been several layoffs within 343. Um, so for the time being, Halo looks to be in a dire, dire situation. Halo Infinite... Obviously, the live service game that comes from 343 Industries, um, not looking good. We know recently Bonnie Ross has has just left Joe Staten, and from what I understand, uh, went in to fill her position, and now he says he's departing. Um, So there's a lack of leadership there. And then also what we know about Halo Infinite's development cycle is that a lot of contractors uh, came in to do a lot of the heavy lifting on that game. And it just seems... It just seems that they're not in a good spot, generally speaking. So, and then also, I don't know. I don't really know the full extent of what's going on within Bethesda Game Studios, but I mean, Starfield recently delayed. Um, I don't. I don't think there's been nearly as many layoffs within three or within uh, Bethesda Game Studios compared to three four three. Um, I think they're going to be fine, generally speaking. But um, yeah. And then I, I finally just want to touch on this, and, and I guess there could be some debate about this, but I, I just I think that our economy, generally speaking, is just trending towards a recession if we're not already in one. Um, I don't know when that actually happens. I don't know if we have to wait on the government itself to say that we're in a recession in order to be in one. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I, I pulled up the, the definition of a recession. I'd like to read it here. So this is This is from Merriam-Webster, and this is what it says a recession is. In economics, a recession is a business cycle contraction where there is a general decline in economic activity. Recessions generally occur when there is a widespread drop in spending. So that's that's what Merriam-Webster defines a recession as. Um, I guess when you look at tech and the way that we're spending money on tech, you could say that the tech industry is in some sort of a recession. The tech economy is in some sort of a recession. If you're going to apply those economic terms to what's going on here. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, people are spending, I know people are spending less money. People are trying to, inflation is going to drive down the cost of spending inherently. That's what it will do because things cost more. So people can't, people don't have enough, don't have enough money to buy things. Um, interest rates continue to go up for things like houses, 
Um, and what I've learned recently is that this can have both good and bad things. Um, if you have like, for example, like a high yield savings account, that can be good for you because you have a high, you can have a general higher interest rate on that money you have in savings and that can make more money. So that could be a good thing. But when we're talking to the cost of homes and things like this, definitely not good because it just makes your monthly payment more unaffordable. Um, so we'll continue to see, uh, this is definitely not looking good. Layoffs are happening everywhere. Um, so you got to take care of yourself out there. So bit of a bit, bit, a bit, a bit of sad news, but that's the first news item. And then I finally just want to say with Joe Staten, um, I'm, I've played Halo Infinite. Um, I think that game is very good. And I say that from like campaign perspective, I know that there's some debate over like the level variety, um, not being very good in terms of like, you're always in like a Pacific Northwest kind of biome type area with the green trees, the pine trees, the ocean, things like that. But other than that, there's not a lot of variety from what I hear, but I mean, I think besides that, I think the campaign, I've, I've played a little bit of it. I thought it was very good. Uh, I think the the way that they're sort of, I think Chief is perfect in that game. The character of Chief is perfect in that game. I like the pilot character. I like the general plot. I mean, they made Halo into an open world game from some perspective, and it's good. Um, and then also I know that they're, the multiplayer side of the house has kind of fallen under some critiques and criticism concern, concern, like it's, um, it's live service elements. And I think... I don't know. The core gameplay of that game is so good. Um, just the different variety in weapons, the 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 like the grappling hook, the repulsor, things like that. I don't really know what the general umbrella term for those like upgrades you can pick up on the map are called, but um, they're just it's just a very well made game. The the weapons feel great. Things like the battle rifle, um, the DMR, things like that. They all feel great. It feels it feels like a Halo game needs to feel. I think it's. In terms of gameplay, which is the most important thing when it comes to video games, gameplay is king. Um, I don't know how much better you could do. Um, I don't think we've seen something like this since Halo 3 or even Halo Reach to some extent. I wasn't a big fan of like the armor upgrades or whatever you can get in Halo Reach, like the things like the jetpack and the um, lockdown, the armor lockdown, things like that. But um, generally speaking, I think that the game is good and it's going to be sad to see it not really get as much support. And furthermore, there's not going to be another Halo game for a long time, it seems like. Um, and from what I understand, like their goal with Halo Infinite was to get it to a point where it's sort of a self-licking ice cream comb in the sense of like people just come to play and they, you know, they do the live service stuff and they keep having fun. But I mean, dude, like Forge looks good. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand a lot of their criticism from the Halo community about the game because I think it's very good. Um, I can understand being very critical of something that you love. And I think that's in a lot of ways how you get something to where it needs to be. But at the same time, I don't know. It's a little too much, in my opinion. But that's just me. Okay. That's all I have to say about number one. A little bit of a change of tune here, but still remaining on the subject of live service elements and games. So number two, in a tweet, Activision Blizzard, publishers of the mega popular Call of Duty franchise, announced that Season 2 of Modern Warfare 2 has been delayed. They say the following quote, and they do this, they, they write in all caps in their, in their like press release. I, I kind of hate that, but whatever, I'm just going to read it. It's kind of just offensive to my eyeballs as I'm reading it here, but that's whatever. They say the following quote, season two will be launching on February 15th. Our studio teams have been w making several changes based on what we have heard from our player community. Season two includes all new content with the return of resurgence and a brand new small map for Warzone 2.0. Ranked play is also back and coming to Modern Warfare 2, along with new multiplayer maps, new modes, weapons, and much more. Stay tuned for additional intel. 
Modern Warfare 2, while not to be confused with the legendary 2009 game Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, released on October 27, 2022, and is certifiably yet another smash hit in the Call of Duty franchise. It was the top-selling game of 2022, sitting just above Elden Ring at number 2 and Madden NFL 2023 at number 3. Modern Warfare 2 is developed by nine studios spearheaded by Infinity Ward and with assistance from Demonware, Treyarch, Toys for Bob, Raven Software, High Moon Studios, Beanox, Sledgehammer Games, and Activision Shanghai. Okay. Now, I don't have too much to say here. Um, I'd never, I haven't really played Modern Warfare 2. I haven't bought it. Um, I played it at a buddy's house, and I think the gameplay is, um, it's an extension of Modern Warfare 2019's gameplay, which I have played intimately. I know that game very well. Um, but, and I haven't really messed around with Warzone 2.0, even though I know it's free. It just, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to have that game on my console because it takes up too much space. It's just too much. I think that's, I, it, by the way, I think that's some sort of like asymmetric tactic from Activision Blizzard to make the file size so big. I don't know if this, if Warzone 2.0's file size is the same as like Warzone 1's file size, but that shit was insane. And, um, I just don't want that. It takes up too much space. Um, even on a PS5. Like, I know I could do a SSD, but I don't, or not an SSD, but some sort of a outside storage device, but I'm not doing that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know much about this game. Uh, the community seems to have been very critical of Warzone 2.0. From what I understand, there's something wrong with it. Um, so they're delaying it. Uh, delays are usually good. Um, when people are, are still working, I guess, but, but yeah, I guess, I guess we'll see how this shakes out. Um, I thought it. I thought it fitting to loop this into the Xbox news, even though that, you know, Call of Duty isn't necessarily under Microsoft or Xbox yet, but one day it probably will be, considering you know everything with the FTC shakes out, or FTC whatever it is. Um, yeah. So I don't know much about Call of Duty. I have a long history with Call of Duty. I've played. Oh boy, the first one of them when I was a kid. I played Call of Duty Big Red One on Xbox. I played Call of Duty 2, Call of Duty 3. I play Call of Duty 3 a lot for some reason, even though that game wasn't really good. It's just, you know, you know the situations when you're a kid and you don't have you don't have a lot of games, so you just play with what you have. Um, so I had Call of Duty 3 for some reason. I think we ran it from, like, Blockbuster or whatever, and I just kept it. But um, I play Call of Duty 3. Call of Duty 4 was my, my, my life in between 5th grade and 6th grade. I remember intimately what year. That would have been 2009? No, 2000. I don't remember what year that would have. Yeah, it would have been early 2009 because I remember I was playing Call of Duty 4 and World at War kind of in tandem um, in anticipation of the launch of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 in 2009. Um, Modern Warfare 2, just like I'm sure every other young middle school child in 2009, that was my life. I went to the midnight release for that game. Uh, I really like that game in a lot of ways. I think the multiplayer is super broken with the one man army dudes that they never fixed, uh, as well as commando and things like that. Uh, but I played that game a lot. Um, I think the campaign in that game is excellent as well as call of duty Four. a lot of the campaigns, of the call of duty games are just excellent. You, they just have a winning formula. Um, but no, I played motor for two. Um, I basically played every game up until ghost, ghosts then it became more inconsistent played advanced warfare a little bit that was it was all right i know there's been this weird trend online lately where people have been like trying to defend advanced warfare and i know people liked it to some extent but generally speaking i don't want that that's just my opinion um and then i played i don't know i I have a lot of history with call of duty but i just don't really play too much nowadays i'm more of a single player gamer because i don't have time to link up with people and play online so there's that but 
hopefully the Call of Duty community is happy with uh, what's going on there. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's, that's it for that piece of news. And finally, we'll move into number three, which is very exciting for me. Uh, so, according to an interview conducted between games outlet Games Pressure and Fergus Urquhart, Urquhart reiterates that he wants to make another Fallout game before he retires. Urquhart says the following, quote, We're not working on it right now. Our, pl- our plate is pretty full with Avowed, Grounded, and Outer Worlds 2. I don't even know when we're going to start talking about new games. Maybe towards the end of next year. An editor note says that this conversation took place before Christmas 2022. So, you know, we're thinking they're going to talk about new games, you know, Christmas 2023, perhaps. We'll see. We just have we just have to see what's going on. That's the best way to say it. There's nothing in the plans, nothing on the piece of paper that says that. But I'll stick to what I said. I would love to make another follow game before I retire. End quote. This dovetails with Urquhart's previous claims that he made in October, where he stated the same thing. He wants to make another Fallout game before he retires. Obsidian Entertainment was acquired by Microsoft in November 2018 and falls under Xbox's first-party range of studios. They are responsible for 2019's The Outer Worlds, a single-player RPG clearly inspired by Fallout. Tim Kaine, who is often credited as the creator of Fallout, served as a co-director on the project alongside Leonard Boyarsky, another core Fallout veteran. They are also responsible for 2022's Grounded and Pentiment, which have both met tremendous critical success, respectively. Obsidian's Fallout lineage runs deep. Their studio holds several of the core team that created the Fallout IP, such as Josh Sawyer, Josh Sawyer, Fierkes Urquhart, Leonard Boyarsky, and Tim Kaine, among many others. In fact, lots of notable vid- game developers that have handled the Fallout IP fall under Xbox's umbrella of studios, including none other than Todd Howard of Bethesda Game Studios. So... I got some things to say here. Um, I, the way that, the way that Fergus is, I don't, I, I'm sorry if I'm miss saying that. I don't really know what that, uh, that could be like Polish or something. I'm not, I'm not sure. So I'm not trying to offend anyone. Um, but the way that he's talking about Fallout and the way that he's talking about the specifically Obsidian approaching making a new Fallout game is very interesting to me. Um, he says we're not working on it right now. Which could mean, like, you know, we're just not doing it, period. That could mean what that means. Or it could mean, like, hey, like, we've talked about it. We're not working on it right now. But it's coming. It could mean that. Uh, he doesn't say one thing one way or another. Um, and then he also says this piece of, like, I don't know when we're going to start talking about new games. Um, so that could mean one thing or another. But look, this is this is all I have to say. Um, if I am Phil Spencer, I'm the head of Xbox Studios, and I have all these games all these studios, all these IP under my umbrella. That's, that's just a clear slam dunk. And I don't know how else to put it. You got to get this done. (laughs) Like you you just have to. And I know we're in an era where games take a very long time to make. We're talking about, we're talking about art that, that just pulls in several different components between audio design, game development, programming and writing and and dialogue record, like all these different things. Um, and they take a long time to make and their art and they shouldn't be rushed, but man, if I'm Phil Spencer, I don't know how this, ha- if this hasn't been green lit yet, I just don't know what's going on there. This has to happen. You have all of the people that's, well, that's not true. Not all the people. You have a lot of notable people that have worked on the fallout IP all under your umbrella, all under your team. And so if that's not happening, I mean, the last Fallout game, Fallout 4, came out in 2015. It's 2023. It's been eight years. <laughs> it's been eight years. Um, I mean, this has to happen soon. Um, I don't know. So 
I don't know if the, how much there is to really pull at here, but ten, but uh, Fiergus is clearly saying as CEO of Obsidian that he wants to do another one. I think we're going to get another one. I don't know what that'll be. I don't know if that'll be a New Vegas 2. I don't know if that'll be another weird spinoff. I would love to see a Fallout New Reno or something like that. Um, Whatever that might be, I'm not sure, but I would love to see it. So, yeah. Really excited to see what happens there. I love Obsidian. I'm very, I played Pentiment a little bit. Pentiment is really cool. It's, I'm just happy. It's one of those games that I'm just happy exists because it is so unique. Um, and it is so different than everything that's out there. Um, so you got it. That along with Grounded, which is also very different. And just the, it shows the, the talent of Obsidian as a studio to be able to make different games like that. Grounded compared to Pentiment, compared to Outer Worlds. Those are three completely different games in a lot of aspects. Um, the most two similar, I guess, could be like Pentiment and Outer Worlds because they have RPG elements. But then again, it's just completely different. So hopefully we see this. Um, as Fiergus said, they're very busy with uh, a lot of these games that are coming up. Uh, what is it? They, yeah, they got Avowed. They're still supported Grounded. And they got Outer Worlds too. So they got a lot going on. They got a full plate, as he says. But... Um, Phil, you got to get this conversation going. If you haven't already, I'm sure you have because you're a smart man, it seems. But come on, man, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get this going. Okay, that's all I have for the Xbox news. Um, I want to touch on one thing as far as PlayStation news goes. So, and I, I find this interesting. It's a little bit of drama, not too much, not too much um, objective analysis or objective reporting going on here, but it's just something interesting to read into. Um, and it's a important talking point, I think, in our industry as well. So, I'll get into the PlayStation news. So. Number one, HBO and PlayStation Productions' The Last of Us on on HBO is now verifiably a smash hit. According to website Variety, HBO's The Last of Us achieved the second biggest premiere for the service in more than a decade with 4.7 million views in the U.S. alone between the HBO Now streaming service as well as its native TV channel. Additionally, ratings for the show are currently sitting at 99%, certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, a 9.4 out of 10 on IMDb, and 84 must-watch rating on Metacritic. While this is great for HBO and PlayStation, as well as video game adaptations across media as a whole, all is not as well as it seems. According to an interview conducted by the Los Angeles Times, Bruce Straley, who is credited as the game director for 2013's PS3 game, The Last of Us, was not credited for his contribution to the source material in the TV show, and he seems burned. The LA, the LA Times reports the following, quote, it's an argument, and this is this is uh, Straley speaking directly, quote, it's an argument for unionization that someone who is a part of the co-creation of that world and these characters is it getting a credit or a nickel for the work they put into it? Maybe we need unions in the video game industry to be able to protect creators, end quote. The LA Times goes on to report that HBO and Sony declined to comment on the record. Okay. There's a lot of threads to pull out here. Um, I love The Last of Us. I love the HBO adaptation. I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, I understand where Bruce is coming from here. Um I, I get it because I've as I was doing my research in preparation for the show, I saw that there that he made a lot of contributions to not only um, just like because he so and this is important to note that while Bruce was the game director of The Last of Us, Neil and I, I went and like watched the credits for The Last of Us game, so this is how I know this. He, Neil is credited as the creative director, and he's also created as like credited as the sole writer of the game. So Neil. You have Neil, who's the writer and the creative director, and Bruce is just the game director. 
So that's that's how it's credited. And it's important to talk about how things are credited as this whole ordeal pertains to the fact that Bruce is upset that he's not credited. So I, I don't really know what the best way to go about this would be. Um, I don't because it's it's clear that Bruce contributed things to the narrative um, and it's clear that he contributed things to the writing of and the creation of the world and things like that. Um, I, I think that's evident. And I think that um, it's often joked about between Neil Druckmann and Bruce Straley that they had a close friendship and they often called it like a marriage um, in which they both wanted things for the game, but they just, you know, had different ways of thinking about it. So I don't, I don't really know um, what the, what the right thing to do here is clearly Bruce is, is upset about this. And I think that, you know, he also calls for unionization to be able to protect you know, situations such as these. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know the full extent of, of which a union would be able to help out when dealing with HBO and PlayStation. I'm, I'm not really sure. Perhaps it could help, but at the same time, it's just like, I'm not sure what the right thing to do th- here is. Um, it would have been cool to see Bruce credited alongside Neil because that's just the way the game was spun up and that's the way the game was presented to all of us as though it was directed by these two people. But I, I don't know. Um, it's it's definitely a dilemma, uh, both ethically and morally, in some aspect, to you know give credit where credit is deserved, and yeah, so it's a little bit of a dilemma there. And they also, it's important to point out, they co-directed Uncharted Four together, um, and then after Uncharted Four, uh, Strayley departed Naughty Dog, and and it's it's allegedly claimed on his Wikipedia page that um, his relationship with Naughty Dog and Sony was strained when he left. Um, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Uh, like he had had a bad relationship or something. Um, so maybe they didn't want to credit him because of that. Um, I don't know. There's been a lot of conversation about crediting in the video game industry lately, especially, you know, dovetailing off God of War Ragnarok's weird situation where people didn't credit get credited correctly or something like that. There's apparently some sort of, I think it was a lady that contributed a lot to the creation of the soundtrack of that game. Um, and she didn't get credited for some of the work that she put in, which sucks. So I don't know. We got to, we got to get this, we got to get this down. We got to fix this. Um, games are not playthings. Games are not, they say they sell at the end of 2022, it was reported that over the last 11 years, games have sold more than music and movies combined. The video game industry made more money off of that combined. You have to treat these things with the respect that they already receive. You know what I mean? We have to do things right. We got to get the little things right. Stuff like this. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit of an, of an ironic situation. Or not ironic, but just strange situation. Um, and I think the... The show does a weird job of crediting the the game in weird ways, I think. Um, I don't know. So, And just to circle back to this conversation for a second, I think the game is credited as, with the following. It says, based on the PlayStation Studios video game created by Naughty Dog and written by Neil Druckmann. That's the way that it's credited. Um, so does Bruce's name deserve to be in there directly? I don't know. I guess that's for you to decide, but... We got to get better at this, generally speaking, because Bruce is clearly burned that he wasn't credited. His name is nowhere to be found in the in the show. So, and at, even at um at Naughty Dog, there's you know I get I think consultants to be true to the source material. Um, 
and I don't know if they consulted with Bruce or not, but like, it's just strange that he's left out. Cause it seems, it seems void. Um, it seems like the way that it's credited is though. Neil is solely responsible for the creation of this world. And it seems just not as equal, um, as it might seem. So, but who knows, um, on the, on the source material, just like while talking about the last of us, I gotta say, uh, I love it. Um, I played the last of us upwards of, I think like maybe four times at this point. Um, and I, it's so good. The show adaptation is so good. Um, I think that they do a wonderful job of, of taking a different approach to get to the same destination. I think that's really good. Um, I love the representation of the early two thousands that you see in the show. There's so many different things that are just, that are just awesome that you see throughout there. You see like an Al Gore shirt, you see a $20 bill, like an old $20 bill from before the early two thousands. You see like Joel mentions Atkins, which I haven't heard. It's just funny. I remember I do people at Atkins in the early two thousands. I was like a child and they, it just went away. I wonder if keto, the same thing will happen to keto, but it's just, I don't know. And then there's mentions of terrorists and desert storm and, and things like this. And it's just, um, it's just kind of wonderful. I love that it mentions it in that way. And then also just like the, the it, it's so cool to see a video game be adapted. Cause typically what we see in video game adaptations is it's a spinoff. Like usually the successful video game adaptations are a completely different spinoff of what the story of the game is. Like you have things with like cyberpunk edge runners, which I think is wonderful. That show is so good. If you haven't seen cyberpunk edge runners and you're into cyberpunk, as a genre or you just into the game or whatever and you haven't seen it, you got to go watch it, dude. You can watch the whole thing in one night. It's, it's so good. Um, and then also you have Arcane, which is the same thing. It's like a spinoff of the story of, of League of Legends of the general lore. Um, and that's very good as well. Those are the two most successful ones that come to mind for me, but this is different. This is a one-to-one adaptation in many ways. It's the story of the first game and they're really taking a kind of walking dead, invincible approach to it where they it's the same source material it's the same story but they kind of muddy some things up they take different directions to get to the same place they have different little tweaks you see jo- you see uh, joel's more close to tommy and you see joel having like a like a continuing relationship with tommy even though in the game that's not the same thing um and there's just there's all these little things that are different um and it's so good it really it really is so good i want to I need to go back and platinum the last of us remastered. I want to platinum part one and I want to platinum part two. Um, I need to get back to those games because they're so good and they're so important. Um, like I, I knew people like I knew a guy, I used to go to like this uh, breakfast at a church in the mornings and I knew a guy that like, I would have never pegged for someone that would play video games. And he was talking about how he played the last of us. He's like a, he's probably like 40 or 50 year old man. Um, he has kids, he's got a full-time job, things like that. He's got a lot going on, but he played The Last of Us. And I'm like, that's the that's what this game could do. Um, it can get people who don't necessarily consider video games, rub them in and show them what, what this industry can offer. And I think it's wonderful. So, yeah. Love The Last of Us show. Uh, heart, My heart goes out to Bruce. I, I understand the, I guess, the strain um, of what he might be under with not being credited and things like that. Uh, cause he did contribute a lot. Like he, it says that he contributed to the character of Bill. It says that he contributed to like the, how violent the world should be. Um, and it seems as though him and Neil really locked, walked in lockstep to get that game to where it needed to be. And I mean, I can't think of a more like highly lauded and important game 
for what games can be. And especially we're seeing this uptick in live service um, in our industry. And we're going to, we need games like The Last of Us to just do what they do, to be what they are. Um, so that's all I have to say there. Um, that's really the only piece of PlayStation news that I felt pertinent to talk about today. Um, now I want to move on to Nintendo. I, I find this, I find this piece of news pretty important. Um, and it, I think it's very relevant to what's going on with Nintendo. Um, and it really shows the, how low key they are and cementing themselves as a very popular, not just first party and, and, but they, they are so much bigger than you would imagine because they are just, they, you just don't, you don't hear a lot out of them, let's say. But they are just, they're so important. So I'm going to go ahead and read this. So Nintendo News number one. According to website Bloomberg, who, saw, who cites anonymous sources, Nintendo is set to increase the production of its smash hit Nintendo Switch console this year, citing the waning of the microchip shortage as the reason for this. Also, according to anonymous analysts featured in Bloomberg's reporting, a, quote, Zelda-themed Switch is a possibility this year, end quote. This news arrives on the same weekend as the launch of Fire Emblem Engage, the next entry in the, in the wildly successful Fire Emblem franchise. Fire Emblem Engage is currently sitting at a solid 82 on Metacritic. This news comes ahead of the launch of the mega-anticipated The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I don't know if it's Tears of the Kingdom or Tears of the Kingdom. I think it's Tears of the Kingdom, which is set to launch on May 12, 2023, and one most anticipated game of 2023 at the Video Game Awards in 2022, besting titles such as Bethesda Game Studios' Starfield, which won in 2021, game was supposed to launch in 2022, that didn't happen, Resident Evil 4 Remake, and Final Fantasy 16. The Nintendo Switch was the 2022 was 2022's best-selling game console in the U.S. for unit sales, according to the NPD. And according to Nintendo, this was achieved in a year where supply supply struggled to meet demand. With this increase in production, along with the launch of the sequel to the legendary Breath of the Wild, Nintendo seems to be setting itself for another insanely successful year in the video game industry. Okay. Now this is um this is I think this is really an important piece of news to analyze and provide analysis for because I think this shows that the switch is not going anywhere. Um, I don't know if Nintendo has plans to do a switch pro or some sort of thing like, like that. I don't know what, what's going on there, but um, the switch is, when did the switch come out? Give me one second. Switch release date. Yeah, 2017, 2023, it's the six-year-old console. It launched, I guess, a couple of years after. <laughs> this Nintendo's just doing their own thing, man. It's fascinating. Um, that launched two, four years after the PS4 and Xbox One. Um, yeah, they, it's, it, it, they're really doing their own thing. They sit aside the console war that really happens between Microsoft and Sony with the PlayStation and the Xbox. They sit beside that, and they do their own thing. And they're honestly in some ways more successful by doing that um by not by not they're not they're competing in the sense of the video game space but they're not they're doing something different they make things for kids they make different games it's just it's just kind of it's kind of wonderful in the in the way that they do it i think it's fascinating um so yes they they sold the most in 2022 they were the best. That the Switch was the best-selling console, beating the PS5. This wasn't. This was surprising to me when I first saw this because I thought the PS5 outsold the Switch. Um, 
but it didn't. The Switch still beat it, and the Switch is, what, a seven-year-old console at this point? Um, 2017, no, six years, six-year-old console. So, yeah, it's, it's, this is important. Um, and it's only going, they're only going to sell more when the Switch, or when Zelda launches in May. And it's also rumored, as this, as this reports, that a Zelda-themed Switch is a possibility, too. I mean, like, we're not getting rid of the Switch anytime soon. Um, and this, again, demonstrates the need for us as consumers if we don't want a new... If we don't want... If we don't want games on the Switch to remain at the quality they're at in terms of frame rate, in terms of performance, um, not in terms of gameplay and the quality of the game itself, but in terms of performance mostly... Um, we have to stop buying the Switch. Um, I don't think that's ever going to happen because I think a lot of people that buy the Switch are not in touch with the reality of video games. I don't think. I think a lot of times parents buy things for their kids. They buy Switches for their kids, and that's kind of how this transpires. But um, it's very, very, very significant. Um, and the PS5, just for just an interesting side note here, it ranked number one in terms of dollar sales. Uh, so technically, I guess you could say PlayStation made more money than the Switch in terms of console sales. But obviously, you ha- there's there's much more deeper layers of that, right? Like, is there has to be, you know, how is the PlayStation 5 made? Who gets paid to make it? You know, these sorts of things. I don't know the different par- profit margins between Nintendo and PlayStation. Um, but it's interesting nonetheless. Um, and also, PlayStation and Xbox, we're struggling with the supply issues because of the microchip shortage that Nintendo is referencing here, although Nintendo came out as a victor. So it's just it's just interesting, uh, generally speaking. Now I want to touch on Zelda Tears of the Kingdom because obviously that game is gonna be um that game's gonna be insane. It's gonna be a smash hit. Um it's gonna sell I don't even know. I don't even know. I can't I don't even want to venture to guess how many how many copies that game is gonna sell. But um we only know a few things about the gameplay. We've only seen those two gameplay trailers. Um you know, we've gathered that time reversal is going to be some sort of combat mechanic or gameplay mechanic. Um, but other than that, and then there's also some sort of like you can travel between the Sky Islands that you see featured in that. And then also there's there's some rumored um, weapon repair, or weapon forging system that will be in the game, which would be I don't really know how I feel about that. I didn't really mind the weapon breaking thing. Um, it got annoying. I guess, but like I always, I always found it fun to continuously be switching between weapons. I guess, and you don't if you once you find a good weapon, you don't have a reason to use the other ones. Um, but that's just my opinion. You can feel free to disagree with that if you want. But that was a big critique that Breath of the Wild received is that the weapon degradation system was kind of annoying. Um, it didn't stop that game's success. The game was a, a, cur- a commercial success and a critical success in every sense of the word. I mean, it won Game of the Year. What was that? Two thousand seventeen, I think it was. Yeah, so. And then once again, shout out to Horizon because Horizon is unfortunately launching alongside Elden Ring, Breath of the Wild, um, just these two monumental open world games that keeps launching besides those two things. I just, it's quite unfortunate. So, you know, whatever. Right. Okay. And then also I found that I found this random piece of tidbit news and it's, it's kind of uh, unsettling to me personally, but it says Zelda breath of the wild speedrunner beats game 50 times, less than 24 hours. Um, all I have to say is what, what are you guys doing out there? Miscellaneous news. This is the last segment. Um, I want to touch on just random pieces of news that I find interesting across the industry that may or may not necessarily tie into 
first party in, in and of themselves, but I feel pertinent to talk about these things. Um, so, miscellaneous, miscellaneous news item number one. According to Games Radar, as well as popular content creator, variety streamer, Fighting Cowboy, famous for his outstanding from software slash souls like walkthrough videos on YouTube, I, I referenced those earlier. They're fantastic. You got to go watch them. Um, if you're going to play through a Souls game, you got to do it with with Cowboy's guide on the side because he's going to get you to where you need to go. He's going to get you that platinum. Um, but at any rate, from software will apparently host a one hour special about Armor Core 6 Fires of Rubicon at the Taipei Game Show in February. Website Games Radar says the following quote it is isn't exactly clear what's in store for Armor Core fans at the Taipei Game Show. But given that it's scheduled for a full hour, it's very likely we will see some new footage footage of some kind End quote. So. This is interesting. This is I, I when. Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon, was initially announced at the Video Game Awards. It was announced to release in 2023. I, the release dates in the video game industry, you can never really know. Um, you never know. And I, I don't really put my stock in something to come out when it says it's going to come out until we have it a lot of times. But then all there's, there's sometimes where you get sort of left of launch indicators of games coming out like this where they're going to show apparently somewhere upwards of a full hour of gameplay um which indicates that the game is is good to go in a lot of ways you know obviously you could show early builds of games that and i'm sure we've all seen this there's, like if you go look up like the mass effect 2 gameplay the ui doesn't look anything like it's it does and same with like the last of us demos and things like that like if you if you go look up that like you don't obviously you get different takes of the game earlier builds and things like this but I don't know what this is going to be, but I, it'll be really cool. Especially if we see gameplay for the first time, we see some sort of demo for the first time. Uh, that'll be sick. I, I'm so like, so I need to give you guys a little, little history with my from software from, so I, I played in 2014 when Bloodborne launched, I was a sophomore or junior in high school. Let me make sure that dates, right? Give me one second here. Bloodborne release date. Yeah, 2015. Okay, I was wrong. Good thing I checked. So 2015, when Bloodborne launched, I played that game. I did not like it. I didn't know what was going on. And this is this is the common story you see with people talking about Souls likes, especially from software's games. Is Bloodborne launched. I didn't like it. Couldn't play it. I didn't really play anything that launched after that. I didn't play Dark Souls three. I didn't play Sekiro. I didn't play. I didn't play anything. Um, but then Elden Ring came out. And Elden Ring was blowing up, and I was like, okay, I'm like, I gotta try this. Um, I played Demon Souls Remake prior to Elden Ring, and I, that didn't click either. I didn't like it. Um, so I was like, I don't I don't know what I don't know what's going on with these games, but there's clearly something special here, so I gotta check it out. So I start Bloodborne again. I start Bloodborne February of 2022. This was last year, almost a year ago. Um I got it. I understood why these games are so good. I understood what's great about the games is these insane boss fights with crazy music that sounds like your house is burning down. There's the, there's the, you always encounter these super weird NPCs, these super weird, like really eldritch and dangerous looking characters and, and monsters that could just, they look like they can mess you up. Um, there's just exploration. The level design is on another level. I understood why 
these games have been selling so well and doing so well and they're critically acclaimed things like this. Like I finally got it. So I platinum Bloodborne. Uh, move on to Sekiro. I'm still playing Sekiro. I haven't finished it yet, but now I'm on Elden Ring. Sekiro is very good. I love Sekiro. But now I'm on Elden Ring. Get a platinum that. Then we're going to move on to whatever's next, whatever's in the store, whenever I have time to play games. Um, but I say all of that to say that obviously Armored Core 6 is not going to be a Souls-like. And we know that for a variety of different reasons based off of the way. I think that uh, Miyazaki did an interview talking about it. Um, it won't be a Souls-like. It's going to be, you know, what Armored Core has always been. It's going to be a mech fighter, mech brawler, some sort of thing like this. So I'm interested to see what it's going to be like. I am going to play this game. And I'm confident that I'm going to like it because it's from software and they've earned my trust as a consumer. And I it, like, I only have this sort of like buying relationship with, the, with a few other developers. Like I would, I got to play Starfield cause I really love Bethesda game studios games. I'll play anything from naughty dog. Like there's just these, there's these different things with, with developers that establish trust with the consumer and from softwares on that list now with me. So, Yep, that's I'm excited to see Armor Core 6 gameplay. Can't wait. Coming soon, February. Allegedly launching, I don't know, sometime this year. I don't know if they said a month. Hang on, let me look this up real quick. Give me one sec. Core release date. I think it's just 20. Yeah, it's just 2023. So game's coming 2023. I'm there, dude. I'm in. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Um That is the first miscellaneous news item. Miscellaneous news item number two. According to a blog post from Marvel's Avengers development team at Crystal Dynamics on January 20th, 2023, development on Marvel's Avengers will end on September 30th, 2023. They say the following, quote, after two and a half years and introducing 12 of Earth's mightiest heroes following update 2.8 on March 31st, 2023, we will no longer add new content or features to Marvel's Avengers. All official support for the game will end on September 30th, 2023. Even after official support ceases on September 30th, 2023, both single and multiplayer gameplay will continue to be available, end quote. Marvel's Avengers is a games-as-a-service slash less-service game developed by Crystal Dynamics and published by Square Enix, released on September 4th, 2020. While the game's story was praised on its release, its in-game and live service elements were met with a slew of critiques. On November 20th, on November 2020, only two months after the game's launch, the game's player count fell to only 1,190 players on Steam, a 96% decline since the game's launch and a symptom of a dead live service game. Okay. I have not played Marvel's Avengers. This has been the talk of the town for a long time. Just this game. Um, what it's kind of getting after. And I... I think what we're seeing here is a lot of live service games are being pushed by developers and players are saying no. Um, players and consumers are only going to gravitate towards the game if the game is good. And this game, from what I can tell, it has good aspects, right? It has a good story um, and the single player elements of the game are good, but the live service elements of the game are not good. Um, so, and, and there's also, I've, I'm sure you guys have seen the videos of the comparison between Captain America's gameplay and the newly released, I guess this came out like a month ago or something at some point, maybe a few weeks ago of the winter soldiers gameplay. And it, that's just terrible. It, it's basically the same animations. They, they recycle the same animations and the same, 
um, gameplay mechanics between those two characters, but they're supposed to be different in some way, and they're just not. So, and then also, I'm sure you guys have seen the web swinging as Spider-Man. Those videos that have circled, uh, they're not good. So, it's unfortunate. Um, I remember I was pretty excited for this game before it came out because I was like, this would be cool to check out, see what's going on. But um, it's just not. It's not a good game. I would like to play the story if I can play the story in like a night or something like that, but I don't know if that's what it's like. Um, but this is the trend. You're seeing developers release these live service games and players are more often not saying no, but you're seeing companies like Ubisoft and companies like PlayStation that are saying we need a good live service game because of the cash cow that it can potentially be. That's the reason why PlayStation acquired Bungie is to help get Bungie to help support its other studios that are in the pursuit of creating a good live service game. We know Naughty Dog is currently working on a Last of Us live service game. I'm excited for that personally because I love factions in The Last of Us, but I, I don't know. The game has to be good, and the live service elements can't be exploitative. I don't know if that's the right way to say that word. They can't take advantage of the consumer in such a way that's weird. Um... And we're, we're going to talk about another story after this with Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League having live service elements. Um, listen, I'm not I'm not opposed to live service elements being in video games. I think that's fine. It's just when the live service elements invade and detract from the quality of the game, that's when it becomes bad. When there's pay to win aspects. Um and when it just doesn't make sense for the game itself to be a live service. And if it is, it just isn't good. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll Clearly, this is winding down. We're not going to see anything new out of Marvel's Avengers. And if you're a fan of the game, you know, I'm sorry to see that your game isn't getting any more content or support or whatever. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. This reminds me. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys played Marvel Heroes, the action RPG I played that game a lot for no reason when I was in high school. Um, I thought the game was really fun. I played a Spider-Man all the time. I had the web swinging. And I like, I really specced into the web swinging aspects like that. You could swing around. It was really fun, I thought. Um, yeah, sorry to see that this isn't working out for Marvel's Avengers. But in many ways, the game was dead on arrival. And it didn't have good live service elements. So I don't really know what to tell you. And, and in many ways, you have to have enemy variety in such a way that I think that's one of the biggest, most important things for a successful live service. You have to ha you have to you have to push the gameplay in new ways. Um, but yeah, obviously we're, this isn't panning out, so that's unfortunate. But that's all we have to say about that. All right, this next one has been the talk of the town this week, so let's get into it. Miscellaneous news item number three: An image from Suicide Squad: Kill the Justice League has leaked, showing that it has games as a service-like elements, such as a battle pass and a Fortnite-esque lobby screen. It's speculated that players will be able to purchase skins, and Rocksteady has copyrighted and retconned many of the leaked images, but you can still find them out there. So, I'm sure you guys have seen these images floating around of these different live service elements that are in Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Now, we we don't know, and this is, I think, the number one important critique to point out here, or not the, not a critique, but just the, one of the most important elements to point out here is that we don't know how these live service elements are necessarily going to impact gameplay. We don't know. Like, for example, let's say you're playing as King Shark. King Shark looks like he has some sort of minigun thing. 
that he uses to shoot people. Now we don't know if there's going to be like different miniguns that you can get that do different damage and, and things like that, different weapons in the game that you could purchase. And we don't know if that's going to necessarily impact gameplay. So if that's what this battle pass is, if it's something that directly impacts gameplay, I guess that's bad, you know, but we don't know that information. Now, if these life service elements of this battle pass include things that are merely cosmetic or whatever, and you can buy them if you want, they don't impact gameplay. It's been shown that this is the right way to do life service co- or uh, battle passes, things like this, to incorporate them into gameplay. Then you know it's it's all good. It's par for the course. But this is another telltale sign of again. It seems that many of these games. This is the trend of the industry. I feel like this is what we're seeing this week. We're seeing a industry that is looking to scale down in some aspects. You know, many people are getting laid off, things like this. But what we're seeing is people, developers, companies are turning to live, incorporating some sort of live service elements in games, ways that they can generate more cash beyond you purchasing a game for at most $70. Um, They're looking for different ways in which to enhance their cash flow from a game make a game they're, they're trying to make games more like a self-licking ice cream cone rather than an upfront $70 purchase or less than that because I'm sure many games sell at less than $70 I don't know the majority I don't know the difference there but that's just my assessment right so I don't know what this means necessarily for Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League I'm very excited for the game personally. I think it's going to be great. I love the Batman Arkham games and to see a different setting where they're in, where the Suicide Squad, these different characters, Harley Quinn, Captain Boomerang, Deadshot, and King Shark, they're in Metropolis to try to kill the Justice League. That as a premise seems awesome. The fact that you can co-op with people seems really cool, but they're incorporating a battle pass and live service elements. So red flag, right? But that remains to be seen. If we don't want the battle pass, don't buy the battle pass. If you don't want the cosmetic improvements, don't buy them. But it's going to be unfortunate if Rocksteady puts us in the position as players and as consumers to where if we want to get the most out of the game, we have to spend more money on it beyond what we've already spent, then that's going to be upsetting. Uh, We don't know that information. We don't know how it's going to shake out yet. So I guess we'll have to stay tuned. Uh, I remain excited for Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. I think it's going to be a great game. Um it looks like it it will be based off its graphics, its current gen only, which is just that's oh yeah, that's that's what it needs to be. And it it the the trailers that we've seen of the dialogue and the character work there, it seems like it's it's what it needs to be, but it has these other weird aspects. And we don't know if they're gonna detract, detract from the game or not. So we'll we'll have to wait and see, it seems. Okay. Miscellaneous news item number four. According to PlayStation Blog, PS5 game Returnal is coming to PC on February 15th, 2023. Now, this is obviously good. Getting more people in the door. Uh, getting more people to expl- experience a PlayStation first party game. It's obviously a good thing. Now, it's, it's just, I, I don't really have much to say here. <laughs> it seems like a good thing. Uh, we're, they're going to get Housemark is going to get more money and PlayStation get more money to make more games that we want to make. And if it's on PC, that's, that's all we're getting out of it. More people will be able to play it. I think Returnal is a great game. Um, I haven't finished it. (laughs) It sucks that I have to keep saying that about so many games, but I haven't finished it. I've played, um, I played it a good bit. I think I made it to like the third zone or the third planet or whatever. Um, 
I think the game is very good. Um, I do think that it's like it's <laughs> the PS5 has been out for three years. No, two years and in a couple months, right? Yeah, because it launched in November 2020. Yeah, so okay. And this is really one of the only games that we have that you only need a PS5 to play. It's like this Astro's Playroom, which is the best PS5 exclusive in my opinion. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, Demon Souls Remake. Um, there's like a couple others, um, but those are really the most. Uh, Last of Us Part One, obviously that's a that's a PS5 game that you, that you need to have a PS5 game for. It's coming to PC later, but at any rate, soon we're gonna see a reality where the only two games that you're gonna need a PS5 for is gonna be like Astro's Playroom and Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. So yeah, we're gonna need to see more from. We're going to need to see more from PlayStation First Party in order to see exclusives on PS5, games that you need a PS5 to play. Um, but we will we'll have to see. This is obviously a good thing. Returnal coming to PC, it's a good thing. But again, beyond performance and ease of life and quality of life enhancements, the PS5 needs to continue to justify itself more, justify its own existence more. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that all shakes out. Um, okay. Miscellaneous news item number five. Journalist Rebecca Valentine at website IGN reports, citing the NPD's analysis of sales in the video game industry, that both the Callisto Protocol and Mario Plus Rabbit Spokes of Hope underperformed from a sales perspective. Let's start with the Callisto Protocol. According to website K-Odyssey, South Korean video game holding company Krafton and developer Striking Distance Studios claim that the Callisto Protocol did not meet sales expectations and, according to Valentine, was reportedly outsold by Mario Kart 8, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, and Minecraft, which are all at least five-year-old games. On the flip side, Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope underperformed as well, and Valentine provides the following analysis. Quote, Just last week, Ubisoft stated... In a press release that Sparks of Hope underperformed, citing it as one of the multiple motivators behind a reworked business strategy that involves restructuring canceled games and delays, end quote. Okay, so Callisto Protocol, I have the Callisto Protocol. I haven't played it, um, but the general critique and the running analysis that I keep hearing is that the game isn't very good. Well, Maybe that's not what I'm hearing. I think I'm hearing that it's a good game to some extent, but it's bogged down by certain elements that are crafted into the design of the game. But beyond that, it's almost there in terms of what the game could be. It's almost there. That's what I keep hearing. Um, the game, I've seen pictures of it, and I've seen gameplay of it. It looks like a beautiful game. It looks like one of the best games I've ever seen, in fact. But it just doesn't seem like it's there from game from the gameplay elements. And, and the general critique I've also been hearing is that it's too short. I don't know if it's too short. I haven't played it, but um, the more, I, don't, I don't really know how else to say this. The more a complete game, the shorter a complete game is, sounds appealing to me. Because I don't have a lot of time to play video games. Um so I need to get to this at some point to see what's actually going on there. But I do want to say from an analytical perspective that it's very, it's upsetting to me that this game didn't sell well because it's going to 
that's going to broadcast not only to craft on but to striking distant studios that we don't want games like this and i just don't think that i don't think that consumers i think that consumers want more games like this they just want them to be a little bit better and if we're not broadcasting that from a sales perspective and we're not buying the game then they might never know that so We'll see. I hope this game gets a sequel. I don't know if it will. Um, but who knows? Um, it's interesting that it's linked in with Crafton. Crafton obviously being some sort of conglomerate that owns, uh, I think also owns PUBG, and that's how these games were connected. Callisto Protocol obviously was supposed to be a PUBG game, but that eventually changed. Um, and yeah, I guess I guess we'll see how this all shakes out. Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope. I don't know anything about that, and I'll never play that game. But this again ties in to the general trend that I think that we're seeing this week is that Ubisoft. I think last week they said that their games are not meeting sales expectations. They need to pivot and they need to create. They need to make better games that sell better, but they also need to, they need live service games, any games as a service. That's what they need. That's the general industry. That's the general trend we're seeing. And I just think that it's, it's, it's kind of ironic that we see Callisto protocol wrapped in with a Ubisoft game, because I think the Callisto protocol serves example, serves as an example as a game that I personally want more of. And I think a lot of people out there that love video games, especially single player narrative focused games are going to want more of, and we have this Ubisoft game that's underperforming, and Ubisoft is making this pivot to live service and games as a service. So take that as you will, but I think that's the trend. Again, we're seeing, I think, a shift away from single-player games, which I don't want. I don't think that's a good thing. And we're seeing the pursuit of games as a service. And obviously, the talk of the town has been with PlayStation, obviously trying to pursue multiple live service games of service type games and we haven't heard much out of them because i don't think we're going to like what what it has to say i'm we're not going to like what they have to say about all the live service games that they're making they're like over 10 or something like that live service games in development right now um and then beyond that i I just i don't like this i don't like this trend because we're not, then you see you see the live service elements in Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, which I never saw, I never expected to see that in that game. Um, but it's the trend; it's what we're starting to see. And I guess we'll see how it pans out. I guess we'll see how many games have these live service elements. Um, and then also we're seeing Marvel's Avengers be shut down, a live service game that obviously wasn't very good. So I don't know. I guess we'll see how it shakes out, but very interesting trend. Okay, finally, this is the last news item, miscellaneous news item number six. According to Riot Games Insider, Twitter user 7, a new League of Legends, according to Riot Games Insider, Twitter user 7, a new League of Legends spinoff is inbound. According to website IGN, Riot Games' new action game for PC, The Mage Seeker, a League of Legends story has been leaked by South Korea's Game Ratings Committee. And then in the game, players play as Silas to save Demacia. That's apparently like the plot of the game. Um, just, just felt like this was pertinent to report. Obviously, League of Legends is huge. Um, I played a little bit. Or, well, I played League of Legends a lot in high school. I don't play it very much recently. I watched Arcane. Um, 
and I, 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 I think this is a good thing. Um, I try not to support Riot Games directly because of their close affi- affiliation with Tencent. So I don't know if I'm going to play this game. Personally, I haven't played any of the other uh, single-player spin-off games. Like, I haven't played uh, Legends of Terra, whatever that game is called. Uh, apparently, it's pretty good, but I haven't played it. Um, but we'll see. So I felt this is pertinent to report, so that's why it's here. Um, yeah. Okay. That is all we have for this week. Um, just for some general closing comments, if you like the show, you want to see more of it, please consider supporting me on Patreon. I'm working on getting some sort of uh, patron exclusives go in there, so that way you have some sort of perk if you do wish to support me. That's totally up to you. It's your own prerogative. If you do wish to support me, thank you very much. Um, Twitter, you can follow me on on Twitter at uh, twitter.com forward slash Hansen. That's H-Z-O-N-S-I-N. Um, and yeah, that's all we have for this week. So thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of VGN, a video games analysis podcast. This is Hansen with Ent Media. Out.